Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. this Monday, April the 4th. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's time to rise and shine. I know some of you are listening in places where it's already the middle of the day, so thank you for carrying on for us as we slept uh, soundly, hopefully overnight. If you didn't sleep soundly, I recognize that you're going to face some particular challenges today um, because you didn't get a good night's rest, and um, so I'm, I'm thoughtful of that considering all of the challenges that each of us may well face today. Some of us know what some of those challenges are going to be. Uh, Many of us don't know what at least some of those challenges will be. Um, And so we live by faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. We acknowledge God's goodness and his grace. We anticipate his provision in advance. Um, You can count on God to be good, and you can count on God to be great, and you can count on his grace to be all-sufficient. You can count on him to be there when um, you learn of things about which he already knows. And on the responsibility front, um, let me just go ahead and give you a pass um, on some things and then call your attention to some other things. So you and I are not responsible to do everything. Like, but we don't, we're actually not designed for the burden of that. Um, but we are responsible to do what we can do in those spaces and places at those times where um, God has put us as his instrument or agent of grace. And so doing what you can do is all you're responsible to do, but you are responsible to do what you're there to do. So failing to do what you can do is actually a sin of omission. So it's not just about Um, Jesus dying for the sins that we have committed. It's also Jesus dying for all those things that we failed to do and had the responsibility to do all the good we might have done. And I think that many of us do not consider that when we enter into our confessional time before the Lord each and every day. And so let me encourage you to give that a little thought today. Not only, you know, acknowledging Jesus as the one um, who pays the penalty for those things that we have done that we should not have done, and we know it, those sins of commission, but also for failing to do all the good we might have done, those sins of omission, all those times we might have stopped to help, all those times we might have given but didn't, all those times we resisted the nudge of the Holy Spirit when we knew, when we knew we were supposed to speak or serve in a particular way. We cannot do everything. Not saying that. Not saying that. But if you can do something and you don't, there you go. That's a a little pricking of the uh, conscience today. All right. um, At 2 a.m. on Sunday morning, 
as bars in Sacramento, California, were closing, at least two gunmen opened fire. 18 people were shot, six of them fatally. Police are still searching there for the shooters. Um, The Atlantic is running a piece today about the normalization of death in the American psyche. And it's doing so like asking a question like, how did this become normal? As if death is somehow abnormal in the human experience. And then Tony Robbins is out with a new book on precision medicine, promising ways to not only reverse aging, but integrate the human mind with technology technologies in such a way that although the body is going to one day waste away, the mind could potentially live in perpetuity. And, uh, you know, I'm, precision medicine and its advances are great. But all of these, all of these. The shooting in California, the Atlantic piece about the normalization of death, or even this transhumanism um, acknowledgement, uh, AI integrating with the human body. All of these are stories that lead Christians to potential conversations about the nature of life, the reality of death, the physical body. And the only person in all of human history to take on human flesh for the particular purpose of defeating death and the power of sin. His name is Jesus. And so how will we love him today? How will we honor him today? How will we serve him today? What does it mean to you to follow Jesus as he approaches the events of what we call Holy Week? Dave Buring will be back from Lion's Share, and we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about the cross in light of the resurrection. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dave Buring is back from Lion's Share. You can find what we're talking about today at lionshare.org. If you don't already um, receive Dave's podcast and the the video feature related to that, encourage you to check that out as well. Anyway, it's all at lionshare.org. Dave, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Good morning. Let's talk about about the cross. Um, And Mm. let's talk about the cross in light of... The reality of the resurrection. It's 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 one thing to it would have been one thing to have approached the reality of the cross not knowing um, that the resurrection was really coming. Um, but we live on this side of the resurrection, and yet and yet it's still really important to consider the cross. It is, and I think it's something that this time of year uh, we can blow by Easter quickly without pausing to really reflect on the depths of the cross, the reality of the cross, what my life would be like without the cross, those kinds of things. And so when I think about the cross this time of year, of course, it brings us right back to Jesus and it brings us back to the realities of what it is he walked through for both you and me and for all of us. So when you talk about Jesus in that particular way, like he sounds like a real 
guy, like an actual man. Can you talk about Jesus's incarnation and his genuine identification with us as human beings? Yeah, I think one of the things that we have to realize is that from the very beginning when Jesus came, and you know, usually we celebrate that at Christmas time, is he always came to identify with people, identify with mankind. I, I think sometimes we we don't realize that, you know, if Mary was holding Jesus and had to remove her hand from holding up his head to scratch her nose for a minute, that he would automatically, because it was God, his his neck would be strong and his, he would not, you know, fall back like a normal baby. And that's not true. It's like one of the things that I always find intriguing about Jesus is his favorite phrase to use about himself was the son of man. He didn't, Mm. it wasn't the son of God, but he referred to himself as the son of man. And so the reality is, is that he identified with people. And you look at that in his ministry, the people, the helpless those in need, uh, the sinner, he would identify with them. And, and as we start you know, looking at that as it relates to the cross, uh, one of the phrases somebody used that I really like is Jesus really became the one great sinner. And that's not something we, we really think about. And it's, but the reality is Jesus became the one great sinner for past, present, and future sins on the cross. That's a pretty amazing thing. Well, and when you use the term sin... Um, what what do we mean by that? You know, all the sins of the human race, past, present, and future. Um, what what do we mean by that? What is a sin, or what does it mean to sin, or what does it mean um, to live in sin? Um, you know, beyond the the things, what what is the reality? Yeah. So there's several words that the Bible uses that helps us with this. So um, one of the words for sin, uh, it means to miss the mark. So it's it's actually like an archery term. Like, okay, we're trying to hit the target and it falls short. And so sin can be where we fall short of how God has asked us to live, intended us to live. This could be, um, you know, us twisting the truth when we should have just spoke the truth. Well, we fell short in that moment. It could be, you know, oftentimes in our relationships, we've said or done something that fell short of what we should have said or done. And I'm not talking about perfection or performance here. I'm just talking about the reality of of how we're living our lives. Uh, the Bible also speaks about a transgression and uh, or a trespass. Like when we pray the Lord's Prayer, it's, you know, forgive us our trespasses. Well, that that is, it means kind of going beyond the marker. So like when you think of offense, it says don't trespass. It's It's crossing over. In other words, there's a purposefulness of our heart of crawling over this side of the fence to trespassing to the other side of the fence. And, and there's a third word that's kind of the heavy word, and it's the word iniquity. And it, it iniquity means that sin has so become a part of us. And it's not something that we just chose by missing the mark or, or hopping the fence, but it actually has become a part of us where it is now woven into our character. And that gets mm. to be kind of a scary place. But the good news is, the cross sets us free from all of it. The Bible says that the wages of sin uh, is death. And so we're going to talk about what Jesus does on the cross in terms of receiving our punishment. That conversation up next, we're talking with Dave Buring from Lion Share. You can find what we're talking about today as a part of a discipleship journey, which you can find at lionshare.org. 
Continuing our conversation with Dave Buring from LionShare. Dave, we've talked about the reality of sin. We know from Scripture that the penalty of sin is death. And so um, what is it that Jesus accomplishes on the cross? Yeah, so as we're moving towards Easter week here, I think it's an opportunity for us to take some time to really reflect on on that reality and the, and the beauty of the cross, if I can say it that way. So when when Jesus is on the cross, one of the big things for us to understand is that he receives our punishment. This is um, kind of the fancy word is vicarious punishment, which means somebody acting on our behalf. He took our place. And it, it it's it's beyond comprehension, isn't it? Not only because of just history and time, and he did this several thousand years ago, and yet he had us in mind when he was on the cross, which is an amazing thing. He knew our sin. He knew what we'd be stuck in. And so Jesus became sin on the cross. This is why, why we, we hear Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he, he ex- experiences this horrible God forsakenness that belongs to hell itself. There's this lostness. And again, some of us have experienced this in our life, and we need to see that that even in the past when we've felt this lostness and this condemnation and even kind of the heavy phrase, eternal damnation, Jesus took all that for us. It's like he let that, you know, land upon him. Uh, See, in the Old Testament, it was an animal that was slain as the substitute. And Jesus came as the Lamb of God. We see John the Baptist in John 1, 29 referring to him as a, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here Jesus became that Lamb on the cross. So the way we need to look at is, is this is God in Jesus Christ taking all this on himself, becoming the one great sinner that you and I might be reconciled to him. And that's not just for us listening today. That is for every person who has ever walked the planet, who's walking the planet now, and who will in the future. Amazing. Yeah, and then that lamb who is slain, you know, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. That lamb, you know, reappears um, standing at the center of the throne encircled by um, all who live um, in yeah. in the book of Revelation, and you know, and the, and the Lamb has a scroll, and you want to be found, you know, with your name on it. Like there's there's a lot in Scripture if you've not explored it on this theme of Jesus as the Lamb of God. That would be a worthy um, study between mm-hmm. now and and Holy Week and leading into Easter. You're going to better understand um, what happens on, not only on Palm Sunday as Jesus enters Jerusalem, hailed as king riding on a donkey, but you're certainly going to better understand um, the sacrifice that he makes as the Passover lamb offered up for us upon the cross. That's the that's the context of the conversation that we're having right now with Dave Buring from Lion Share. Um, encourage you to, to check out what we're discussing, the cross in light of Easter. It's a part of a discipleship journey. You can find it at lionshare.org. Talk about the reconciliation that is accomplished. You know, Jesus takes away our sin. He he receives our punishment. But what is accomplished is really this um, magnificent, indescribable gift, reconciliation mm. with God. Yeah. Yeah. So when, when we think about that, it's, again, it's incomprehensible to think that, you know, what Jesus did out of love 
on our behalf has reconciled us to God. If we receive it, if we decide, yes, I, I see what's happened, and usually that comes upon us in a way where God reveals it to us and our eyes are open and we see A, our own need, and B, what he has done on our behalf. And so on the cross, Jesus receives the punishment for our sins. It's not only, here's the beauty of it, it's not only the freedom from, from our past sins, but the reality is we're completely forgiven and he redeems us. In other words, it means to buy back. It's like he has purchased us from his death on the cross that we might be his. And, and so the reality is that Satan has no more authority on our lives except what we kind of give him. And so when we continue to sin, it opens doors for him to get a foothold, as the Bible says in Ephesians. And, and he likes to keep that foot right there and have influence in our life. But the reality is he's also given us the authority through being cleansed of sin, forgiven of sin, redeemed, reconciled to God to be able to say in Jesus' name, no more. And, and so there's all these pieces. And again, every single one of these pieces is worth a, a, a week's worth of reflection. And mm. um, so we are now reconciled to God. We've been made right with God. Nothing of our own doing but completely his, and it is a gift to us. Living um, living into that gift, opening that gift every day more and more, um, this, this relationship that God intends and desires to have with each person. Um, Dave, I think there are a lot of people who live with so many broken relationships um, certainly the idea of having a, a restored or reconciled relationship with the father, like that's a mystery. I mean, 40% of children in America are living in homes where their dad is not present. Like, right, this whole mm-hmm. image of father and the love mm-hmm. that the son has for the father and the relationship that's that's co-eternal. Like, I think sometimes we forget Jesus was present at creation. Um, when we mm-hmm. talk about the Old Testament and Jesus speaking the old speaking words from the Old Testament um, recorded in the New Testament, like he's just repeating himself. Like it's mm-hmm. not like those words or that reality of being God belongs to God the Father and not to the Son. And I don't mm-hmm. ever want us to lose sight of that. And you bring that um, you bring that into into view when you talk about at the end of this conversation that the worthiness of Jesus to receive the rewards. Um, and, and so take us to Revelation chapter 5 um, and, and this vision of who Jesus is and where he is now. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a beautiful thing. So let me just read, I'm going to pick portions here, of Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 through 10. And it says, Then I saw a lamb. So this is John, one of the disciples of Jesus, who now is uh, away, kind of put off on this island called Patmos. And he has this, this revelation, this vision that he sees. And it says, I see a lamb, capital L, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of incense, which are prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song. And here's what they sang. Listen to this. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain 
and with your blood you purchased for God. There's the, there's the power of redemption. You purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Like, it's an amazing thing, Carmen, for me to think about when when all is said and done and we're there in heaven, we're going to see those from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And it's because of the redemptive purchase of Jesus on the cross. An amazing thing. It's totally an amazing thing. And so many, you know, so many conversations that can grow out of that. Like, it's there's a conversation about diversity. There's a conversation mm-hmm. about ethnicity. There's a conversation mm-hmm. about nations that still exist. Like, right? So um, I just think that there are all kinds of really rich, robust um, entry points into the conversation. If you're listening today and you're thinking to yourself, um, there's you know, there's no relevance there for me. Oh, yes, there is. Yes, mm-hmm. there is. And we invite you to, um, to discover it. Dave and I are... Uh, disciples of Jesus Christ. We are lovers of the Word of God. Um, mm-hmm. We are thrilled to open His Word with you this morning. So uh, invite you uh, to examine the cross in light of Easter. It's a part of a discipleship journey. You can find it at lionshare.org. Dave, thanks so much. Thank you. We'll talk again soon. Let's take a, a brief pause for Upwards with Max Lucado. We'll be right back. Well, this is going to seem like a harsh jump in topics, and I'll just uh, go ahead and confess that. So you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge on the Faith Radio Network. If you just missed the conversation about the cross in light of Easter, and discipleship conversation with Dave Buring, and encourage you to catch that later. Um, we rebroadcast this entire show um, online at MyFaithRadio.com and on the Faith Radio app. You can find it under the podcast tab at MyFaithRadio.com. Um, so there is a major change coming on April the 11th, and I just want to make you aware of it. U.S. passport applications will begin offering X as a gender option. I know. Take a deep breath. Um, that's a major change. Um, it will be the first time nationwide that there will be an acknowledgement that in the United States of America, there is the recognition of a gender or genders or a gender quote-unquote option beyond male and female. And so um, the White House announced it uh, in an effort as a part of what the Biden-Harris administration calls advancing equality and visibility for transgender Americans. Um, The State Department is, um, you know, carrying out this executive um, order by allowing Americans to mark their gender as X, on passport applications, and then they would be identified on U.S. passports by an X, um, which is going to influence um, the way America is viewed internationally, particularly by those nations who do not recognize um, a, a reality beyond male and female gender. Um, Dr. Adam Carrington is going to join us next. Uh, We are going to talk about um, an action by the Department of Justice warning states regarding restrictions that they are attempting to apply on so-called gender-affirming care. 
Yep, those two conversations are related. Adam Carrington will be here next. Here, um, the term transgenderism, many of us have people uh, in, in our lives who we know who are identifying as a gender other than biological reality, um, and the government is now pretty fully on board. Um, Dr. Adam Carrington is back from Hillsdale College. Adam, welcome back. Good to be back. Good to talk with you all. Thank you. Um, talk with us about this Department of Justice warning regarding states that are seeking to restrict so-called gender-affirming care. Yes. So the department, so the backstory to that is that a number of states, including um, uh, 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 Texas and Florida and others, who have passed or are considering passing laws that would restrict um, a- a- at least the treatment of uh uh, transgender persons, either their participation in athletics or um, their whether they are a protected class and, and within the law. And what the Department of Justice has warned them is that the, the is that they believe they being the Department of Justice that transgender persons as transgender are a protected class under the law, and that laws that already exist can be brought to bear to sue the states if they tried to do some of these actions. Now, they weren't specific on which actions yet, uh, although they did made some allusions, but it does mean, as you said, that the uh, Department of Justice, at least under the current administration, is going to be full on board in enforcing a, a view that says that um, uh, discriminating or treating people differently based on the, um, the sex in which they were born versus the sex in which they believe they, they are is going to be treated similar to race or uh, um, um, biological gender or, or other things in American history where we've had a history of discrimination. There's not going to be seen to be any difference there. And I think that um, it just, and, and, and I think the, the encouragement there is that um, this is very much tied to the current administration. That could change with a new administration. Uh, the the troubling thing is the Supreme Court for now seems somewhat on board with this kind of interpretation as well. So the states would have to get past both the Department of Justice and the Supreme Court, I think, to to really be in the clear to make these kind of laws that I know a lot of people out in the states are cheering and think are an affirmation of of who we truly are biologically and the way we really were created. When we talk about um, perception versus reality, um, a new YouGov poll asked people what percentage of the United States they thought was black, Hispanic, transgender, gay. Um, Perception is way outsized in relationship to reality on all of those questions. Um, uh, In answer to the question about what percentage of the United States is African-American, the people who participated in this YouGov survey said more than half of the U.S. population is African-American. That's just that's that's crazy. Um, I mean, I mean, if you I mean, it's it's 12 percent in reality. Twelve percent of Americans are African-American. They they said in the survey, 39 percent of Americans are Hispanic. In reality, it's 17 percent. And on the homosexuality and transgender questions, um, 
those who were surveyed estimated 30 percent of their fellow citizens are gay um, and 21 percent of the nation's population is transgender. Like our perception of reality, by the way, it's like one percent trans and somewhere in the three to five percent, I think, generationally skewing higher, but three to five percent in terms of those who identify as as homosexual. I mean, Adam, there's a perception versus reality gap that is staggering. And I think what that shows is part of the perception is the amount of attention paid to certain people based on how they identify themselves or how they are, if not identifying themselves, how they are defined by society. And that 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 disproportionate uh, difference can skew. Uh, and actually, I would set aside race for a second. I, I'd say it can, with with transgender and homosexuality, I think it can skew um, the argument that is often made from from nature or from, you know, God's uh, intent in how he created the world, where the idea is that that we do have uh, distorted affections. Uh, that is part of what sin is, is distorted affections, and we all have them. Um, but that uh, 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 the idea is if you believe that size of the population is uh, uh, struggling with this, then it's harder to understand God. It's harder to make the defense of how God created the world. Now, it's you know, I I, I I think it still would be the truth, but I think it distorts our ability to see what the truth is uh, by distorting how many people are actually openly uh, uh, struggling with this. And I think that uh, it's due to a oversaturation uh, of of stories about these subgroups. Uh, not that we shouldn't cover, not that we shouldn't, you know, talk about all people and 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 show the lives of all people. But I think it is disproportionate, and that's part of the problem. Okay, Adam, I want to jump to um, something that happened last week, and I didn't cover it, and um, you've compelled me to bring it up. Um, I guess maybe I was surprised that lynching was not already illegal. I think it absolutely should be illegal. It certainly immoral and unjust. Um, It is interesting um, that lynching was, I guess, technically still legal in that it was not illegal. Can you talk about what's going on now and why a ban on lynching is important? Yeah, uh, well, and it's not that um, lynching in the sense of a group of private citizens taking the law into their own hands and hanging someone for a real or perceived crime wasn't illegal. Uh, That's always been illegal. You're not allowed to do that. But for a very long time, we have had a history, as I'm sure most listeners are aware, where for a long period of time, there were groups, vigilante groups like that, who would especially prey on African Americans in the post-Reconstruction South going all the way up into the civil rights era of the 1950s and 1960s. And for a very long time, the early starting in the early 1900s, the first decade of the 1900s, going through FDR and into the mid-20th century, there were massive pushes to have laws that specifically targeted and gave um, specific uh, condemnation and penalties for uh, not just hanging in general by a, a private mob, but those with lynchings that targeted racially, especially African Americans. And um, 
we don't have a ton of those anymore. We have very, very few of them actually. But it is true that the uh, after after well more than a century of debating it and and it being talked about, the Congress passed and 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 the Biden administration, President Biden signed a law that actually bans this. And I think where it does matter is more not so much that this is a current problem, but it is an acknowledgement of uh, the historical weight of this. It's an acknowledgement of the fact that it was a problem in the past. And it's also an acknowledgement that given our history, it's not a bad thing to put in place laws that ban it going forward in a way that shows it's that particularly targets it. Uh, so while I, I, I don't see any resurgence in this particular crime, you never know. Things can change. And given our history, I don't think it's a bad thing for us to publicly condemn it by placing it under the, uh, uh, the, the condemnation of law as we should have more than a century ago. I love a piece that you um, recently wrote in Law and Liberty on genuine patriotism. Can you um, can you make your argument for genuine patriotism versus some of the perversions of patriotism that we might be witness to? Yes, and part of it comes down to uh, why you love your country. Because what is patriotism? Mm-hmm. It really is a love of country. And you can certainly you certainly will love your country to some degree because it's your own. But true patriotism, I think, is a virtue and virtue is always attached to the good, not just to what is or what's natural. And true patriotism ultimately is love of your country for what's good about it in addition to it being yours. So there are versions of patriotism or nationalism that are sometimes called blood and soil. You love it because it's yours and you start to love it sometimes for not always the good reasons that you're uh, the affirming reasons of your country. And my argument is a true genuine patriotism for America is one that is grounded in a love of its citizens, a love of its history, a love of itself that accentuate that recognizes the, the ill, but is concentrates on the many good reasons to love America and is grounded in it virtuously, therefore, by saying what I love about America is what's good and virtuous about it. And that in doing so, we also get past our own selfishness. Uh, patriotism is a means to be part of a community and to be selfless in service of that community, uh, to fight off our own particular selfishness. And that, therefore, a good, genuine patriotism uh, uh, takes care of both, you know, addresses, not takes care of, but addresses both the question of selfishness, our own self centeredness, but also loving something for what's good and just about it, not just because of, uh, uh, of our own pride and what, what, is, what, is, what we see in us in it. Yeah, it's so good. All right, so you can find that piece at lawliberty.org, The Need for Genuine Patriotism. Um, our guest is the author of the piece, Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Again, you can find that at lawliberty.org. Um, the need for genuine patriotism. We're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. I'm going to ask Adam to pivot and help us um, understand a little bit of the pre-election election wrangling going on across the country. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. life. 
continuing our conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Um, Adam, your um, maybe take us around what's going on across the country, at least in a few specific places related to pre-election election realities in, you know, in the lead up to the 2022 elections this fall. Well, and one had to think that there was going to be some of this, given how contested not the out well how contested this last election was as to whether it was fair whether it was uh, done properly whether the outcome was true or was was true to what the intention of the voters was and all of those things and so uh, what what you're seeing a little so what you're seeing uh, outcomes related to that in Florida where Florida passed a group of laws that were meant to cut down on the potential for voter fraud. Um, it was seen by a judge, though, in Florida as discriminating against people on the basis of race because some of the limitations it placed on where uh, where you could, how many ballot drop-off boxes you could have, some early voter registration or early voting requirements disproportionately would hurt African-American voters. So we're going to see, because this was a low, a district court-level judge it's going to be appealed um, possibly all the way up to the Supreme Court. We'll see if it holds up. And you're going to really see the debate that continues to go on, which is to what degree do, should our laws have as wide of access as possible to voting? And to what degree do we need to take precautions to make sure there isn't potential for fraud and voter fraud? Both are legitimate, by the way, but we're, we're, we're continuing to work out what's the best lines to draw with those. Uh, you have another uh, with uh, another thing to keep in mind, and this is happening in New York, but it's also happening in Ohio and elsewhere. Is um, the new there? There will be new congressional maps for the House of Representatives. Every census, once a census is completed, you have to redraw the districts in each state, and that's been done in most states. But there are still some states like Ohio and and New York where um, debates over what is a fair map has caused a lot of consternation. And so that's going to be a big one. Uh, and then uh, uh, in your own state of Tennessee, there's this debate over uh, there's a, a woman who is a backed by President Trump who moved to Nashville, I think, less than a year ago, who uh, because she's wanting to run for Congress after less than a year, the, the legislature there is actually putting a three year residency requirement before someone can join um uh, before someone can run for Congress there. And so that could be a really interesting case, too, as to whether that's constitutionally allowed. So a flurry of election rules to try to figure out the new maps, the new election laws, and uh, with the Tennessee instance, something that just hasn't really come up in this kind of form, which is um, how long should you live in a place before you can try to represent it? Yeah, and because of redistricting, that's now my district. Like, I live in it. So, um, yeah, there you go. It's definitely interesting. Okay, let's talk about democracy as a form of government and our health. Is democracy good for our health? Well, there is some social science research that claims so, and it claims things like um, the longer you live in a democracy or the, lo or the, the, the longer the democracy, the longer it has existed as you live in it, that people there have longer life expectancy, higher income expectancy, higher education attainment that they can expect. Uh, so a whole host of 
sort of things that we look for fair in fairly nonpartisan ways. Are, are you are you living more comfortably economically? Are you is more education accessible to you? Pardon me, a, a whole host of things like that. Um, and 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 the answer seems to be yes. And I think that if you then go behind the statistics and ask some sort of theoretical or justice-based questions, uh, you can see why. Uh, why? Uh, because uh, the people are getting to participate in their government. So to some degree, their values, their beliefs about what is good and just is being reflected. The laws tend to be more equal in that because it's a government of, by, and for the people, generally the laws are going to cover most people. It's not going to pick out particular classes to favor. And, um, and we've, I think, just seen that, that, that these kind of governments, they're, 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 uh, when, when, when the people are all involved, there seems to be a higher chance for, for flourishing of, of the particular people that are there because of all of these factors. So uh, it's interesting uh, to make an argument from that perspective as we think about our own politics and then as we think about what we should do as far as encouraging democracy abroad, whether that be more uh, hawkish interventions that I think have fallen into more disrepute since Iraq and Afghanistan, or to what degree should we support it in more uh, restrained ways uh, that I think have have been the norm in, uh, over the last couple of years. So that so yeah, I think I think that's a very interesting question because it really gets to how government interacts with the way we live and the, how government operates does have something to do with the quality of our own lives. It also made me think about um, when we imagine that we are going to help resolve or alleviate issues related to healthcare, education, or economics. Um, in places around the world where there are not democracies, where people are not living um, in a way that is self-governed, we are seeking to export something from our own experience that's impossible for them to generate in their own environment if those are dependent on a democracy. And, and mm-hmm. So which means that we're going to have to continue to simply give them, which I understand, and maybe that is our role and responsibility but if we imagine that they will eventually learn to fish, um, do, do you see the pair? Do you see what I'm trying to draw there? The conclusion yeah. I'm trying to draw. And and a mistake that I think people make is uh, that ec- politics only follows economics. So if we have opening of markets or things like that, we will. If you have economic flourishing, then you'll have democracy, and that's not always true. Sometimes, uh, actually, more often, politics starts the ball rolling to all these other goods, which means that with democracy, you have to have a commitment among the people to govern themselves. That's ultimately what democracy is, is self-government and and the virtues of self-control that are a subsidiary of self-government. And you're right that until a people commit to and share and inculcate those values, it's going to be hard to get all the other things. Uh, In some ways, democracy is 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 a result of those things, but it's also a cause of those things, and I, I think that one has to keep that in mind when hoping things for other countries as well. That's so good. That's so good. Um, all right, that's Dr. Adam Carrington. As always, thank you so much um, for joining us. You can find Adam at Hillsdale College. He also is on Twitter. Remind me of your handle since I don't have it up in front of me right now. 
It is Carrington AM. Carrington AM. Hey, Adam, thanks so much. Um, happy spring break or maybe almost spring break where you are. Oh, ours is actually early, but we're, we're, we were thankful for it and looking forward to Easter. Yeah, exactly. All right. Um, you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. We'll be right back. This is a new All right. Um, careful little eyes what you see. Um, I, I was scrolling my social media yesterday for a few minutes and came across the videos of um, Buka, Ukraine. And there wouldn't be enough trigger warnings out there um, to tell us in advance to be careful what we see. And so I just want to be um, mindful today of all of the things that we are allowing into our hearts and minds, and then the prayerful attention we need to give um, before the Lord. I mean, some of those things are going to need to be cleansed from, from our memory, and others of them are going to need to be allowed to sear themselves in there in ways that keep us up at night and make us sick to our stomachs and mobilize us to action. So let's be careful today, um, not only what we look at and what we see and what we consume, but how we then deal with it. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. we got another hour. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.